As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Kramer, I got your message. I haven't celebrated Festivus in years. What is your interest? Just tell me everything, huh? You gather your family around, and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. And is there a tree? No, instead there's a pole. Requires no decoration. Let's begin. Welcome, newcomers. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. The only thing I can say is, how about them cowboys? Yeah. How about them cowboys, indeed? Ah, yes. It's the annual About Them Cowboys airing of grievances. Comes at the end of every season. A little earlier than we might have hoped this year. But here we are to air it out so we can finally move on to the next one. And as that game ended the other day at the wildcard game, couldn't help but think of three words. This team sucks. So what I did, texted a friend, got him ready, got him primed for the air of grievances. Welcome back to the About Them Cowboys podcast. I think the timing is perfect. The old gray wolf, Mike Reiner. Mike, welcome back. This team sucks. <laughs> Taking that out. I'll just replay that. Every <laughs> We might need it a lot. Man, it's good to have you. And again, it would, it would feel weird to... Uh, Put this thing to bed without you. Well, I appreciate you boys having me on. Hopefully you have some grievances to air. God, the line forms to the left. <laughs> and it well, is lengthy. Well, we will get to that, but we are joined as always by three of the best when it comes to breaking down all things Dallas Cowboys. We got Sod in the house. We got Father John Mishota from The Athletic and your host from the Eagles slash sports and such. It's Kevin KT Turner. Hey, KT. Hello, Kent. Hello, gang. Let's uh, let's get where we're going. Let's start with Mike. Mike, uh, you know, you're watching that thing. You're watching that game the other day. The game ends. What's going through your mind as everything, as all the chaos happens at the end of that game and another season ends up in disappointment? What's going through your mind? What was going through my mind, KT, was that I got fooled by this thing. I bought in. I thought this thing for a good part of the season 
was really good. I thought it was a legitimate contender. I thought it had a legitimate chance to get into the playoffs and make some noise. And then I remembered, no, these are the Dallas football Cowboys. And you put them in a situation like that, and they will do what they did. Cowboys do what Cowboys do. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't know how to navigate a tight situation like that. And, you know, my my thing with the Cowboys these last couple of years is how little attention there is to the detail of the game of football mm. paid out there. Now, you boys know as well as I that football and any sport is a game of detail, and the good teams are the ones who pay the most attention to it. And, man, that just never seems to work out out there. John, you were there today. McCarthy had his final um, uh, testimony, right, his final words of the year. Uh, What did we learn? Did we learn anything today that we didn't already know? Um, I saw what you were tweeting out as it was going on. Uh, I was on the air, so I didn't hear any of it, but I saw what you were tweeting out as it was going on. Uh, Felt like Samuel McCarthy kind of just not really taking a lot of accountability for anything. That's kind of what I was getting, but I'll let you uh, go ahead and clear that up for me. Yeah, I mean, 45 minutes, uh, and I don't think there was anything we really learned. Um, I don't know if you'd call this learning anything, but, I mean, he doubled down on the way they handled that last play, which was fascinating to me, especially when you just hear Peyton Manning on Monday night talk about how, yeah, you hand the ball to the official, and Mike's still going on with this whole, you know, no, we did the right thing, and and I'm just, it blows my (laughs) mind. Um, But I wouldn't say we learned anything uh, new. Uh, I think he handled it like he's handled all of his press conferences where, you know, there's not a, there's not a ton there. I mean, he's done this for a long time. He's not going to really give you a lot. I thought his best answer came towards the end when Mike Ducey asked him about just dealing with being in this profession and, and being in the situation you are right now where there's people that are just open, openly speculating about your job. And that's the most like, and I, it's hard to even use the word fiery because you know he's not really like that. And which possibly could be an issue with why the team plays the way it does because I think there are moments where he needs to be. Um, but he was just like, I've done this before. I've been in this league for a long time. I know how to win games. I know how to win playoff games. I know how to win a championship. Like he was like pretty defensive about that. He was like, I know you have to answer or ask those questions. I understand. I respect your profession, all that stuff like that. And he had been asked about his job after the game and even early in this press conference, uh, on Wednesday, but that one answer towards the end, that was probably the most fiery, I guess is the best word I can use, even though it wasn't super fiery, but he got defensive a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, no, to, to Mike Reiner's point though, a, a second ago, I have my <laughs> flip card here in front of me from the game. And it made me just think about how I, I am, I am totally with Mike on that, that I bought into this too. And when I look at this, these two rosters in front of me, this Cowboys and 49ers, I don't even think there's a debate that if you, if you were a coach and you only had a week to prepare for this game, I don't think there is a single coach in the NFL, they would take that 49ers roster over the Cowboys. I'm talking about the players that were on the field. I'm not talking about day one. I'm talking about how healthy the Cowboys roster was and then how beat up the 49ers was, let alone later on in the game when you don't even have Fred Warner, you don't even have uh, Nick Bosa. But you look at these two rosters and I'm just like, I can't see anybody. One, here's the biggest thing. Most coaches are going to just go with blatant, okay, which one has the better quarterback? And that's not even on the same level. So while... I'll take blame as well for buying in. This roster is one that 
I think people should have bought in. This is a roster that's better. That that's it's a better team than what they've put out on the field this season. There's just there's no question in my mind about that. This roster has playmakers all over the field. You look at the defense. They got playmakers up front, second level, deep. Same thing with the offense. They got an all pro in the offensive line. They got pass catchers. They got very functional tight ends. I, I mean, it's it it's it should be viewed as strong in every area, and yet, look what happens. There, there was and, a, and, and I think I'm, I'm sorry, KT. I, I one more thing. I just think that goes back to the attention to the detail of the game. I'm I'm with you in getting fooled because I remember I think it was the Carolina game is week four, but Carolina ended up sucking, but they were three and zero at the time. So, uh, and the Cowboys are two and one. So no one really knew what Carolina might be good. And I remember Blake Jarwin got a touchdown in that game. And I think it was Cedric Wilson got a touchdown in that game. And I remember coming on here and just running my head. I mean, how can you stop them? I mean, they got Zeke and Tony Pollard and they can throw it to that tight end and they can throw it to the other tight end. And then Cooper gets a touchdown and Cedric Wilson, they can't be stopped. And then like four weeks later, the offense goes to hell. Okay. Hey, hey, well, hold on to that real quick. I need to include that. That is one other interesting thing that came out of today. We knew at the after the game was over, Zeke said that he had been playing with a torn PCL. We didn't know when. McCarthy said today, week four against Carolina. So not only not only are you like, wow, he played this long with that injury, but to your point, KT, like yes, they still played well in a couple games after that, but it is interesting to look at how much they fell off. It, it just kind of like, why was he still playing as much as he was? There just was a lot of questions about that when you hear that 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 injury happened in week four. What? Why did they still play him? What was the answer to that? Why? Why? Because he wanted to. Well, that's one. He is one of the faces of the team, and he wants to be out there. And Mike McCarthy didn't Probably say. Probably told him he could. <laughs> like, yeah. You can't run, man. Right. <laughs> you, and, know? you don't have a leg. But let me just show you. I, I, there is one example from the 49ers game why he was out there. I can oh, understand, I I I can understand a yeah. little bit more if the offensive line wasn't as bad as it was this season. But, like, they needed him back there. They really did. Like, people can overrate his pass blocking. But, like, because the offensive line was so bad this year – like, who knows? I mean, if you can just stand back there and chip guys, it's probably worth having them out there. Yeah, you're probably right. Again, I mean, just to use like one simple stat from this game, you have healthy Neville Gallimore, Randy Gregory, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence. You get zero sacks. They don't have Nick Bosa for the entire second half of that game. So it's basically Eric Armstead. They got Charles Amenahue and Armstead and one other dude that sacked Dak five times. And so that's why I think that Zeke was still out there is because his pass protection was desperately needed. But if he couldn't heal up his knee, right, and and they said rest is the only thing that would heal it. It doesn't need surgery. It just needs rest. Dude, by then you kind of knew you are a good team. You have aspirations for going to the playoffs. Why not shut it down for a month? Why not shut it down for six games? Dude, like the, there are good teams who do that, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm I think what the happened, the Packers Casey, didn't force Aaron Jones to be out there. 
I think what happened is I think that he was told that it wouldn't get any worse as long as he wore the brace. So he would be limited, but it wouldn't get any worse as long as he wore, which he wore one of those like offensive lineman knee braces that, I mean, you wear when you have a serious knee injury. Generally, guys don't want to play with those on. But I think that that's what he was told. Like, yeah, you're going to be limited, but you can play and it won't get any worse if you wear this brace the entire time. Boy, man, let's uh let's get this air to grievances going, right? There's we all got a bunch of things. I haven't heard much from Sod yet, though. I want to get Sod involved. Sod, you lead us off, man. Number one complaint, get it off your chest. Well, I think I, I think actually one of my grievances that I've listed here ties in exactly to what we were talking about. It, it's something we've talked about continuously all season long on this podcast. You, you got to get more Tony Pollard. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, different packages, whether you're doing it. If you don't, if you need Zeke on the field for pass protection, that's fine. You see a lot of two back sets, whatever, whether they're in the backfield, in the slot, whatever the case may be. You just have Tony Pollard is not one of your better running backs on the team. He is one of your better playmakers on the team. And when and and it's the same thing, KT, that you've been talking about with CD. Why does it take a punt returner to get CD involved, get get him touching the ball? I don't care if Tony Pollard is lined up in the slot. I don't care if he's in the backfield. I don't care if he's split out wide. It just has to. You have to have more Tony Pollard uh, going forward. Could not agree more. Could not. All season long, we watched Tony Pollard play. And if there is a run that looks like there are two yards there, he gets you four. If there are four yards there, he'll get you seven. That's a guy I want playing for me. I got to have that guy out there on the field. That is production. That is steady, consistent production. Uh, Tony Pollard, five and a half yards per attempt. Zeke, 4.2 yards per attempt on the season. And I know the yards after contact stats are actually in Tony Pollard's favor. I know we think of Zeke as the guy who can can run through there and, you know, more of a goal line type thing. I know we think of him that way, but no, I mean, Pollard was breaking more tackles, things like that. Uh, and I, I just don't see why they couldn't make it work together. Like, there's a way to have that conversation without it ended up being, well, Zeke sucks. No, it's not that. It's not that at all. It's that both of them together optimizes the offense and – I mean, I, I, the, one of the biggest things, I'm sorry I referenced them a lot, but one of the biggest things that you'll notice with Green Bay, and Tampa Bay was actually doing this too with Ronald Jones a little bit and Leonard Fournette, but when Green Bay added A.J. Dillon, they found a way, and there are times when A.J. Dillon gets more carries than Aaron Jones. There are times when Aaron Jones gets more carries than A.J. Dillon, but they use them both and it optimizes the offense in ways that other teams aren't doing. And the Cowboys did do that pretty well the first half of the season. But down the stretch, it just felt like we were pulling teeth to try to get the offense going. And it felt like every time you got Tony Pollard involved, good things happened. So, you know, you have that conversation without saying Zeke sucks, right? When you have that conversation without giving a damn what Zeke's contract is. Throw the contract out the window. Who cares? I I just think you could have done a better job of getting Tony Pollard the ball. And I think now they know that. I'm sure Kellen knows that. I'm sure Mike McCarthy knows that. But it still didn't do anything about it, and you still lost. Like, So it's a problem. So, I mean, I, I really don't know what else to say there. Like, I just, It's frustrating. It's yeah, frustrating. and it's, it's, it's a template that if you look at all successful teams in the past, whether the early Patriots dynasty with Corey Dillon running and Kevin Falk, um, being the pass receiver, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart in in, uh, 
in Carolina. Uh, what you just mentioned with Green Bay, like the list goes on and on. Like it, like you know the hell, even the Cowboys when they had Julius Jones and Marion Barber, like that you know they there's roles and there's certain ways that you deploy those running backs. And uh, the the Cowboys for some reason just seem to just do it all at the wrong time this season. What a bummer, uh, Mike. Let's go ahead and get one something off your chest there. Anything that kind of pissed you off about the Cowboys this year? I already have done that. I mean, I keep coming back to the lack of attention to detail. Um, I, I don't know. There, there was just, like I say, I really bought in, and I thought that this team was in that gaggle of teams that were in the upper tier. And I really bought in, and I didn't think that this ignominious ignominious ending that was coming down was going to come down this soon. And the way they handled the end of the game. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, McCarthy could say whatever he wants, but man, that was just terrible. That was chaotic. It was terrible. And it was clear that that's something that had been never been. I mean, I don't know how you practice for something like that, but you can at least talk about it. And I don't think they ever had. What was the moment for you, Mike, that, made you the most pissed off was it not till the very end of the game when they lost or were you were you out by way earlier than that no no i, I was hanging with them till the end of the game yeah. i was having a really hard time buying into the the idea that what i was seeing on the field in this game the way the game was going was the reality of it and i kept thinking the cowboys were going to do something to get things straightened out and they were somehow going to scroll this thing away because Rich Dalrymple and I both know there is such a thing as Cowboys magic. And I thought we were going to see some out there this Sunday, but or last Sunday, yeah. but it did not happen. It was real close. It was real close. Father John, what's, what's uh, number one on your list? Not only is it number one, it is so far ahead as number one that, like, I don't even need any of the others. This is the one that will – I will always remember this season for it will always piss me off. And it's all the complaining in the back half of the season about the officials. Like it started with Mike McCarthy bringing it up to where he even said that he was, he talked to the team about it. And then you just heard as the weeks went on players mentioning it about how it's, we're playing two teams out there. We're playing this team and we're playing the refs. Obviously it was only after losses. You heard this stuff. So obviously it was only after when they played good teams. So that just annoyed me because you could tell it was a rallying cry behind the scenes. And the crescendo of all of it is as annoyed as I was, was Dak Prescott basically being cool with fans throwing stuff at the officials. And not that, okay, obviously it's wrong for anybody to kind of condone that or whatever. That's not it. But it was the fact that you're seeing this guy who I've covered since 2016, who like, behind the scenes, whatever, never acts like that. And then for him to even have a chance to walk it back later in the press conference, and he doesn't take advantage of that. The fact that he didn't even have an apology on Monday was stunning to me. I mean, how many people had to reach out to him? It took basically the NBA officials getting together and putting out a statement saying that, you know, something needs to happen here, that you cannot be condoned. Because this isn't just a face of the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott's one of the biggest faces in professional American sports. Like, did you hear the, the thing McCarthy said in the press conference that when they said, what'd you say to your team afterwards? And he said, well, I gave him a piece of my mind. 
So you think he probably, I don't know, was pissed off about that and it kind of sank in. That's what I said after you got off the air the other day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible, but he's a big part of it because I think he, yes. and I think, I mean, the evidence is there. He kept promoting it. Like, you yeah. know, it was like he was looking for something else to like use as motivation for this team because he knew they were talented. He didn't want to get complacent. So it was going to be this thing every every week that it was like, well, you know, the, the refs are out to get us too. So, you know, you guys are going to have to overcome that as well. And it played into the psyche of this team. To the point where I think when they started getting penalties called against them early in games, like San Francisco, like Arizona, I think that it affected their psyche and the way that they played. And to be honest with you, it led to them being undisciplined. And to Mike's point, that is a detail thing. Like, it's not like it was just one thing either. But the ones that annoyed me most are those penalties that would happen pre-snap, the false starts, the holdings, things like that that are just like... We just aren't used to seeing that from around here. And so that by far, the, the bringing the refs into all of this, to me, is just such a loser mentality. That ties in to my grievance, number one, which is undisciplined football. And I think a uh, shout out to uh, whoever asked this in the, uh, in the press conference, I believe it was our, our homie, Mike Leslie. But uh, this was from after the 49er game. All right, in general, 14 penalties in this game. It was obviously an issue with penalties all season long before you guys ranked in the league with that. Is this an undisciplined football team? I wouldn't say we're undisciplined. Uh, I think the, the fact that, you know, the, the physicality, you know, when, when, it's, when it's weighed, uh, you know, you know, when you, you're, you're trying to get your team to play to a certain play style, you know, there, there's definitely some growing pains that we, we've gone through. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and go through the officiality. You know, I've, I've, you know, I, I think it, you know over over the long haul, you you hope it balances out. Um, you know, I, I thought I thought they would let these teams play today, um, but you know that's that's for them to answer, and, and I'm sure they'll be they'll be uh, they'll have their comments on how they felt the game was officiated. What does False starting have to do with anything with play style. We want to play aggressively, growing pains. What is constant false starts, lining up off sides? That's just sloppy execution, sloppy preparation. That has nothing to do with holding a guy uh, when you're holding too long or whatever. Maybe he might be referring to. And here's my biggest issue with this. Like, so because I'm not from originally from down here, I've gone back, thankfully, with YouTube and I've watched. A decent share, obviously not as many as you guys have watched, of older Cowboys games, going back to watching some of the earlier Super Bowls and stuff like that, watching a lot of the Madden stuff in the 90s, a lot of the games he called. They didn't show replays like they show them now. It's like, Mike, we got to see all 14 replays of all your penalties. Out of those 14, so maybe three were questionable. So don't give me this. It was us against the refs, and, well, we just think that maybe it would even out. You guys committed at least 11 obvious penalties, at least. And there probably was more because if you watch the All-22 of that game, there that penalty that Randy Gregory was called for, he could have been called it for that like six, seven times in the game. I feel like everything that I told you all about Mike McCarthy – has come true. And I'm not patting myself on the back here because I was hoping that he changed, but he hasn't. These are all the same things. When he's questioned on things, he gets defensive. Uh, he bows up sometimes and things like that. Sure, he's more aggressive, right? Okay, great. Well, he's more aggressive than Garrett in the game. There's still, as Mike was talking about a little bit earlier, there's like chaos at all times and no control. Aaron Rodgers bailed him out of so much stuff. And it's unbelievable. End of game stuff, end of half stuff. 
Um, I want I want to go like this is the number one thing on my list, and it's kind of the same thing you were talking about, John. It's excuses, just in general excuses. And we're going to go back to last year when he blamed COVID on some stuff. Every team was going through COVID. He said that again, like, man, last year was just so tough. I can't even get over how tough. It was tough for everybody. Every NFL team was going through it. You know what? One of them raised the trophy at the end. So it's not like it was isolated to this franchise, this organization. Yeah, they lost their quarterback, but teams lose their quarterbacks every year. It's ridiculous. The excuses are horseshit, and and they need to stop. But how about this one? Like, how about this excuse that people are trying to fill out? I'm sure I'm lumping everything in because the excuses John hit on the officiating. That's that's terrible. Okay, so you win the toss on uh, Sunday, and you elect to defer. All right, we're going to defer. We're going to start on defense, but we are the home team, and we uh, we do play here a lot, so we know the sun's going to be an issue. So let's make sure that we are going to choose to defend this way. And make sure that we're going that way while the, where the sun will stop us as we try to score in the second quarter and get the double up when we get the ball back in the third quarter. So the sun is now, ex- no, the sun's not an excuse. You chose to go that way at the end of the second quarter. You chose to have the sun in play. You should know that. So the sun is not an excuse anymore. Throwing all that out there. I just, I, I like, there's just never any extra put in with him and that begs the question what does he do he we don't know we don't know what he does we don't know what he, he definitely doesn't tell his players on the sideline hey when we go for the fake punt maybe don't run on the field so there's a substitution so it looks like there's a substitution so the other team can ruin the turbo play that you guys installed well he didn't have control of that either he didn't have control of the end of game stuff it's just always some type of excuse and i i just at what point did the excuses stop? At what point is it not all of your fault all the way up the chain? The only guy that I feel like giving like the benefit of a doubt to anymore is like Will McClay. And even he's like had a you know a missed draft pick here and there. But I'm like, man, I feel like the groceries for this team were pretty good. I feel like you guys put them in weird spots in the refrigerator. That's what I think happens. Yeah. Hard to criticize Will McClay too much. I think that guy had a heck of a year this year. I agree, man. Let, let me go. Let me go back to to QB one here. Is the way or does the way he acted at the end of the game make you that plus the fact that he hit a pretty obvious and apparent plateau along about the fourth or fifth game of the year and never really got things headed up again? Does that make you look at him different? Uh, I I personally don't look at him too differently right now. I I, I kind of I, I kind of uh, he is kind of what I thought he was. Which uh, on his on his good day he's a top five quarterback in the NFL, and on average I think he's a top ten guy in the NFL. I think generally he's a guy that he can go out there on any given Sunday and help you win a game. I don't and I never thought even when I said that you know he should get paid and get a contract. I never thought he was in the same tier as Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, back then Drew Brees, whoever the case may be. Those guys yeah. were always a notch ahead. So I don't I don't really feel any differently. I still believe he's a on a good day top 5 talent, but generally a top 10 quarterback. Yeah. I I agree with Saad on that too because um, if you look at the landscape of the rest of the rest of the NFL, like, yeah, he's certainly not with those top five or four or five guys that Saad named. And I would throw Patrick Mahomes in there too. 
Um, he's not with them, but you look at these other, like that next tier of guys with like the Lamar Jacksons and things like that. Like he's right in there with that group. If those guys are the quarterback of this Cowboys team, there's the same ups and downs and things like that. So, um, I don't, I, I don't, I will say the whole, ever since that, the, uh, Denver game, when Vic Fangio said the thing about how like teams just aren't playing them the right way, stuff certainly changed with the way defense is played against them. Uh, they didn't blitz him as much, which he, that's when he's at his best. Uh, they kind of just sat back and played coverage a lot more. And the fact that he wasn't able to figure that out with this receiving core as much as I would think that he could, that was a little bit surprising just because from the fact of I don't think the receiving core is going to be this good. It's certainly not next year, and it might not be again for another three or four years, depending on like whoever they draft. Because I don't, I don't see them having Ceedee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper all back. And so, if you're not executing against some of these teams with those guys, it kind of makes you wonder. Like, and then you're probably not going to have Dalton Schultz back. Uh, it, it is a little bit eye-opening about you know going into next season. It, it makes you ask more questions than than maybe you thought you had certainly through the first six games when he was definitely in the MVP conversation. It's less about like stats and all that and performance on the field for me. I do think of him the same way, but one place that it bothers me that he hasn't taken that step yet is end of half, end of game, looking like he's in in control, you know, in charge of things. I mean, the fact that they were down one score and there's 2.04 left and the clock's ticking and they were rushing to get a second down playoff before the two-minute warning when you're on the 50-yard line, tells me that he wasn't very aware of the situation. And, you know, even him not going down sooner, even though they had coached a ton. But if your head coach is not going to offer anything in terms of clock management and strategy at the end of half and at the end of games, then I need you controlling that the same way that Tom Brady does, the same way that Aaron Rodgers does, the same way that Mahomes does for the Chiefs. Because quite frankly, you're paid like those guys. So at least give me a step there. And I have still have not seen that from Dak. The tough part, though, is the way that that drive started, though. He also showed you the guy that he was there when he scrambles out and hits Dalton Schultz for 37 yards. So, yeah. you know, and and because and I bring that up because when that happened, I was like, oh, they're winning this game again, because you're factoring in Fred Warner's not out there. Nick Bosa's not out there. This is not the typical 49ers defense that you would go against if it was, you know, earlier in the year. You're at home, three timeouts, two-minute warning. Oh, they're going down and scoring right here. They're in a game that they shouldn't be into. Like, this is the type of momentum where you're just like, I don't know how they went, came back and stole this game, but they're going to. But to your point, you're right, man. That rush play right before the two-minute warning, you were like, what are you doing? This is not like you at all. I don't know, man. I'm looking at him completely differently now. I don't think he's bad, but I don't know he if he really warrants the contract that he got. And this is all done against the backdrop of the contract. But that plateau that he hit about, what are you guys saying, four games in, five games in, something like that? Yeah, right after the injury, yeah. That he never really rose above. And I'm, I'm, taking, I'm trying to take the injury into account, but we just don't know in too much about that, how bad it was or anything like that. I am trying to take it into account. But for what they're paying him now, man, you've got to have more. You gotta get more. You gotta have more. Didn't that take us to Kellen a little bit? Because Dak and Kellen combined, if that's who we're gonna put the offensive stuff on, and if we want to throw Doug Nussmeyer in there, you can or whatever. Hell, if you want to put McCarthy in there, you can. But <laughs> I don't think he does much. But Dak and Kellen, it's their job. 
game planning each week to figure out why they can't get the offense going when teams are rushing four guys and they're dropping seven. That is on them to figure that out. And I feel like it would have been done quicker with maybe some other pairings in the league. But, you know, uh, offensive line needs to be better. It's all a big, like, puzzle that you're, like, putting together. But I would like for Dak and the hotshot offensive coordinator to figure out what the hell's going on instead of looking about like you did, looking the same, you know, when when defenses were playing you that way. You know know what probably happened, KT, and nobody's really talked about this, is that Kellen Moore is probably shell-shocked that the offensive line didn't play up to its standard. Because if you even go back to him as a player at his tail end of his career there, that was like the one constant in Dallas was like, well, you know that the offensive line is going to be at at very least, it's going to be at least solid. It's not going to be a bad offensive line. It'll be at least solid. And on the top, it's the best offensive line in the NFL. And so I wonder if like that kind of changed everything where he was kind of like, whoa, like, I don't know if this is going to work because of the fact, the reason I'm bringing that up is because the defense is that the style of defense that was being played against them. I think you can win if the offensive line's good. And the reason I say is because you can dink and dunk to Dalton Schultz. You can go five, seven yards, maybe a quick little crosser to CD. Even if your running game's only getting two or three yards, you keep the chains moving, keep going. The problem is the offensive line was so bad. You'd get a couple of those plays. Boom, holding 10 yards back. That takes you even out of all of that stuff. It completely stalls the whole thing. Then you're forced into, you have to run certain plays that they know you're running because they know you need to pick up 17 yards now, not seven. So I, the offensive line is certainly an issue. I, I'll be surprised if Joe Philbin is back. I don't know how they don't make some type of change. I mean, that is what the Cowboys have done. When the offensive line is underperformed, they generally replace the offensive line coach. Um, and, and it might not be all his fault, but I'm, I just don't see how there aren't some changes there because... Man, that group was really disappointing this year. Just, just real quick, because the, another grievance that I had list, listed here was the musical chairs at the offensive line. So I just want to throw that out there. Just the fact that you know you, you couldn't make a decision, and and it's not even musical chairs week to week. It was snap to snap, drive to drive. You can't have that kind of inconsistency on your unit. So that was another grievance I had listed. So just want to throw that out there. Another one on my list was was the center position. So yeah, it goes along along with it. Go ahead, uh, Reiner. So did they get all all that they could out of this offensive line this year? <sighs> yeah, I mean they might have because it might just come down to the fact that Ty- Tyron's just not the guy that he was before. I know he makes the Pro Bowl, so everyone thinks that he's still elite. But these last couple of games, I know he's been dealing with injuries. But that, that's the biggest thing with me. Outside of Zach Martin, nobody else even played up to their standard. Like. Tyron didn't have a great season. Lyle Collins didn't have a great season. Beatish didn't have a good season. Connor Williams didn't have a good season. Connor McGovern didn't. I mean, if he did, he would have, he would have won that job. So you're basically down to Zach Martin played well, and for most part, when Ty- when Terrence Steele was called upon, he played pretty well. And for the investments this team puts in the offensive line, that I mean, that just should never happen. Feels like more investments are going to have to be on the way because, you know. Tyron is no longer a 17-game guy. Or it takes 20 games to win a Super Bowl, right? Probably, right around oh, yeah. there. Ty- Tyron is a 10-game guy now. And I, I honestly think I'm comfortable saying Lyle is a 10- to 12-game guy too. Um, he's still younger, so maybe give him the benefit of the doubt say he's more than that. You got Terrence Steele, maybe, you know, there's your piece. Like, But then you're still in the process of piecing things together. What we don't know still to this day is, is Connor McGovern a starting lineman in this league? I don't know. Is Connor Williams a starting lineman in this league? Probably not. I don't know. Maybe if you need to be. There's a weak piece on the offensive line, maybe. 
And I haven't seen much from either of those guys to make me think they're starters in this league. Yeah. Same that Terrence Steele, same way. Is he? I still don't know. I really don't know. I mean, we're not talking like Chaz Green level bad yet, but like it's close. And that's where I go, okay, we're going to need two or three pieces. Like they're going to have to like draft a dude who like has experience playing guard and tackle because you have to accept the fact that Tyron is a 10 game guy now. If he even right. wants to keep playing. JT working in Chaz Green. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a thing like, you know, just a reminder that like it could always be worse. Um, but, man, that, that's rough. And when that, you're right, John. Like, Kellen's probably not going, well, holy shit, our offensive line sucks. Like, he probably, probably never crossed his mind, you know. But there's a lot of things, too, about Kellen's offense that I, that bother me. That I, that we just didn't see as much. We didn't see a lot like like the pre snap motion, a lot of the movements and the crossers and things like that. And when teams start beating you with four guys and you don't even do enough to make them change what they're doing, you know that's why that, that Arizona game was really telling too. I mean the Denver thing happened with it. That Arizona game where you're just kind of letting Isaiah Simmons and Buda Baker just come up and make plays because they're closing down on everything you run. It's just like okay, we're never going to get anywhere here. Because they know what's coming, and you're not going to try to throw it over their head. And that goes back to the Oakland game. And it turns out, the Thanksgiving game where you lost, and there's another game where refs were blamed on it, where you lost 36-33. Well, Oakland made a distinct decision. Vegas. Vegas. I'm sorry, Vegas. Vegas sorry, yeah. Yeah, geez. Uh, the Raiders game. They made a distinct decision to start throwing the ball down the field and drawing pass interference penalties. Meanwhile, you never really tried to throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field. And it turns out, at the end of this thing, you were more like the Raiders than you were the Rams. And I'm not sure that I saw that coming at that time, at Thanksgiving even. Well, hey, we never talked about this on our last podcast because obviously it was recorded before. But because you brought up Arizona, I just have to say, I mean, we've gotten to see more of Arizona. Do we know that they were good? Do we? No. After after they got blown off the map by the Rams, I got their schedule right in front of me. They lost their, their the end of the season game against Seattle. They lost to Indianapolis at Detroit. That's embarrassing. And then to the Rams. So in this basically month and a half stretch, all they have is that win over the Cowboys. So, I mean, are they they even a good team? No, no, they fell off before that. They were on a three-game losing streak going into that Cowboys game. If they play another good team, they basically end their season with six straight losses. The Cowboys are the only ones that they beat. So I don't even know if Arizona's a good team. Yeah, I don't either. Boy, did King, it's, it's Kingsbury, the same type of thing. It's like, boy, feel good about him? <laughs> like, no, I like not. Cliff, but this may, Cliff and Kellen, maybe we may be talking about those guys in kind of the same same form of like, yeah, okay, the younger guy, maybe you've got some good play design ideas, but what else? Is there a little more meat to this bone? And that's where I worry that we're at. But, you know, Kellen's got six or seven job interviews, so we'll see what the hell happens. I, that was kind of my other thing that I had written down. It's like no big wins. Like, where's your big win this year? Your big wins than the New England game, I yep. guess. It uh, is. A game that you almost lost. I mean, Trayvon Diggs bailed you out of losing that game. But the New England game, the Chargers game obviously doesn't look as hot. There's really no big, no big wins. And you can only play these on the schedule, but it's real easy to beat up on the NFC East right now. So, yeah. Uh, Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Uh, I've got a couple of audio clips here to play. KT, you wanted me to pull up one from McCarthy's introductory press conference. Yeah, just to like refresh that this guy is who like we should have known the whole time. And I tried to tell everyone just because I followed him for so long. I mean, the guy lied during his opening press conference. It, the NFL Network thing is all just a bit. Here's the... Mike, you... uh and you said you analyzed every play or watched every play of the entire 2019 season. What is it that you learned from that experience that you think will benefit you most here? Well, I mean, I, I need to confess. I mean, I told Jerry I watched every play of the 2019 season, but I wanted the job. So uh, uh, I, 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 have, I haven't watched every play of the season, but it, it was just... The best part of that is Stevens. Steven starts to get really nervous. Like he's laughing and then he starts to think about what he just said. And he's like, yeah. oh no. Listen to so, Steven just. Uh, 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 I, 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 have, I, I haven't watched every play of the season, but it, it was just, uh, I mean, you do what you got to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> John, John, you'll appreciate this for sure. I know I texted KT this just the other day. Uh, that that just reminds me of when Michael Scott left the office, and then that first interview, the guy that did the first interview was like saying that he has this plan, and they're like, they're like, yeah, I mean, you got to give us part of your plan. He was like, I'm not lying to you. I have a plan, but you got to give me the job first. It's exactly yeah. what Mike, Mike McCarthy. Exactly, that is the yeah. exact thing. He's like, yeah. Well, so, what's part of the plan? Nice try. Yeah, nice try. Uh, Mike, Mike, why, why do we have to give a new head coach a five-year contract? Because you know, I'm not saying they should make a move, and I'm not saying that I had better names for you at the time McCarthy was hired. But it's not like every team was like blowing down McCarthy's door trying to hire him. Why do we have to give a five-year contract to these guys? Because now it would cost you all this money to buy him out. If you wanted to make a change, you could if he had a three-year deal. Like, why do we do that? I I don't know. I don't know why that is. It just seems like that's that's the going rate for somebody. You know, McCarthy's also got a Super Bowl on his ledger. There aren't a lot of coaches out there floating around every year that can say that. And I'm sure that was very, very attracted or attractive to the guys doing the hiring there. So – 
I can see how they could be seduced into springing for five years. But to your point as to why it seems like you have to do that, man, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I don't have any kind of answer for you. They're good or bad. Seems like they thought they were going to hit the ground running a, a little more than they did. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, uh, I, then that makes sense. If Dak doesn't get hurt, God knows what 2020 might have been really nice. But I just don't like Mike McCarthy might have had a job interview with the Jets. Like even the Browns were like, no, we don't really we're going to we don't need the Mike McCarthy <laughs> interview. Like I, I'm just saying, like, I don't there wasn't a million teams knocking down McCarthy's door. There was maybe the Jets. And I don't think he would have. You, you take the Cowboys job over the Jets, whether it's three years or five years, I would imagine. I could be yeah. wrong. Yeah, but also I, I understand like the 2020 thing with Dak and everything, but just remember they also got ran out of the building by Cleveland. Like Dak was there, like and the Cowboys have not shown that, that they're a kind of team like New England that gets better as the season wears along. Like I think that's probably what the team would have been in 2020. They would they have made the playoffs? Yeah, a weak division, but I think we would have been singing the same song that we're singing right now last year at this time as well. I got hold on, hold on. I got a question for Mike real quick. Okay. If uh, if they never fire Jason Garrett and hire Mike McCarthy, so we're going to go with a hypothetical that Jason Garrett has been the coach the last two years, would they be worse, better, or the same? Huh. All right. Well, I don't know if they would be better. Um, I like Jason a lot as a guy. So I'll say the same, just because I like it. That's probably not the answer you wanted. I think it was slightly better because I don't think like the the fake punt, delay of game, the crap at the end. I don't think that stuff kind of happens under Garrett. I think it's a little more tightly controlled than than that. But I think they're probably have the same yeah, record. That could be. That could be. Oh, I don't think they would have the same record. The only reason I think they'd be a little bit better is just because I don't think the COVID year would have been as much disaster because the teams that had their same coaches during those during that time, it was just an easier yeah. transition. I don't know if they would have been as good this year during the regular season. I, I guess the reason I'm asking, because I just, I don't think that Jason Garrett necessarily is the better coach. I just, but what I've seen so far, I don't think they would have been any worse. Yeah. I, I, I kind of agree. I, don't I agree. Can I would the time if my timelines are off, just tell me to f off. But like, uh, it, at that point, maybe you make a change at DC, and maybe Matt Eberflus becomes your defensive coordinator. Matt Eberflus, by the way, the DC in Indianapolis, who's a finalist for the Chicago job and a finalist for the Jacksonville job, and there may be two other teams well, who want to hire him as a head coach. So, Is he sticking around as DC? Well, so <laughs> I guess in my hypothetical here, uh. Dan Quinn did work on the same Dolphins staff for a year uh, when um, Nick Saban was a coach. Uh, so Jason worked with Dan Quinn. So okay. I'm thinking if Dan Quinn comes available, maybe because I still don't 100 percent believe that that was Mike McCarthy banging the table. I think that was like a you know group thing where they were like, we need a new defensive coordinator. This is not time to get somebody else from the barn. Dan Quinn's available. Let's get him right now. And and. To that point, it makes me kind of nervous about what they're going to do to replace Dan Quinn because I think they're just going to take somebody that's on the current staff when you're like, you're the Dallas Cowboys. Like, you should go out and get the best, like, defensive coach that's possible that's out there. Like, you just did to get Dan Quinn as opposed to just promoting the next guy. But I guess we'll see. Who knows? 
Well, who is the new Dan Quinn then? You think Matter Eberflus would come to Dallas if he doesn't get a head coaching job? I don't, he but he Michael would be Parsons on that list. And, and Trevon Diggs to kind of. Well, could, I don't know. I, Indianapolis has a really good defense, but if he wanted to come to Dallas and be the defensive court, come back to Dallas, he, be the he, defensive coordinator. This guy could get head coaching officer, offers, so maybe he would take it. But to yeah. me, that guy would be Brian Flores. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like okay. that. Because think about for his resume, you literally would be like, Brian, come here for a year. Look what Dan just did. He got another head coaching job. If you don't want to coach for a year or you're not going to get a head coaching job, just coach our defense and our and our our crazy robotic linebacker here that, you know, you can move all over as a chess piece. Like there's players here to work with. Like, I just think that would be intriguing to him. Yeah, I think two guys for me, um, one kind of more, uh, I, I think could get some head coaching buzz is Gerard Mayo. Um, from New England. Yeah. The other guy, though, if you're looking for the as as uh, Ryan said, like the next Dan Quinn, who's like you know a head coach type guy, the guy who figured out Dak, like Vic Fangio, like he's he's out there. I mean, if you're, I, I don't know, like maybe he comes in and, and needs to be a defensive coordinator the way that Dan Quinn did. That, that would fascinate me because him and McCarthy certainly <laughs> certainly have a pass from not just this year, but. Uh, their time when McCarthy was in Chicago. Green Bay and and Vic Fangio was in Chicago, they you know they had some some battles back and forth. That I mean, who knows? They might be fine with that. But Mike Zimmer, yeah, yeah Mike Zimmer's another. Yeah, I could see Jerry making that call for sure. Yep, got history here. Yeah, yeah. respect. Um, something no, no. that. Go ahead, KT. I was gonna say Zimmer also. Just incredible. Like, applaud that man. He's dating a woman that's like 44 younger, forty-four years younger than him. I just think it's incredible for him. He's like 67, and he's got a supermodel girlfriend. How mad oh, is Sean Payton that Kevin James is playing him in a movie? Uh, oh, he signed off on it. Because he's like related to I Adam think he signed Sandler off on it before... There was cast Kevin James, I think. There's a uh, family stuff involved there. Though. 100%. Uh, they know the they know the Sandlers somehow. Yeah. Oh, the uh, the Paytons know the Sandlers. Yeah, somehow. Some family stuff. That's what happens when you get Adam Sandler to write your biopic. You yeah. you cast Kevin James. As I you. think Sean Payton's daughter's boyfriend or husband is related to Adam Sandler. I think that's the thing. But. Hey, hold on, real quick. If somebody said they're going to make a movie about you, why would you even care who's going to play you? It's pretty cool that someone's even going to make a movie about you. Because it's Kevin James. Hey, but, but hold on, hold on, hold on. The other thing is, though, <laughs> the other thing is, have you seen any previews for that movie? Kevin James is not going to be the worst awful. part about it. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's going to be bad. So Why do you make a guy's a legitimately good story into like a uh, uh, Little Giants? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Hey. It's what, Here's the inspirational I love little, story. Little Giants could be better, but here's the inspirational story where you were suspended from your league for trying to kill guys. Well, uh, inspirational that he, he he impacted the lives of youths. Mike Reiner, if they're making a movie about you in Hollywood, who do you want to play you? Oh, that's a great one. Um, I don't know. He's probably dead. I'd have to think about that. <laughs> Make sure that whoever they get to play me, whoever I would want to play me is still functional, still among the living. Still with us. I mean, yeah. you can have Leonardo DiCaprio. It's your movie. You do whatever you want. Yeah, but he's too good looking for me. You need somebody a little more uh, ruggedly handsome. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nerdy at the same time. <laughs> Wolf Blitzer. Harris. I I, I vote there Harrison go. Ford there for Reiner. Ooh. Okay. I'll take that. Harrison Ford. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin Costner. I have, uh, <laughs> I have one more grievance to air, and it comes from a uh, the introductory press conference of 2021, and it's something McCarthy said, and it perked my ears up then, and I kind of circled it, I'm like, man, Uh-oh. see how this season ends up, and uh, it's be something we're gonna gonna want to replay if it ends up like this. So uh, here it is. Shout out to Calvin Watkins, former athletic. Cowboys beat writer for the question. Why do you want to do more situational work at camp in comparison to previous years? I just think it's where we are. I think it's and it's and it's what we need. I mean, there's there's things that you learn about every team you coach, and uh, strengths and strengths and, and I'd say weaknesses, but strengths that that you really want to build off of. But that's an area we need to be better. So we need to do more of it. Um, and frankly, that's that's the game. I mean, eight games a year are going to come down to the final the final drive. So. Um, that's that's pretty pretty clear that that will factor in your playoff run, will factor in your playoff seed. So, you know, we, we start preparing for that back in the off season. So we, we need to focus more on on game situation, particularly the the final eight. You know, two minute drills, and um, we did more two minute drills last year than I've than I've ever had. Uh, and and it was something I, I go back to my experience in 08, uh, young young quarterback first starting for the first time, Aaron Rodgers and. We had a bunch of games come down to two minute that, uh, you know, we, we didn't get it done. We, you know, we finished six and ten. So uh, since then, I've always, like I said, we all have the same amount of time. Uh, you, you, had, you all have the same amount of practices. So uh, we, we've always, I've always done a lot of two minute drills and so forth. We've exceeded that last year. These are just things I think we need to continue to work on. I think it's a reflection of the game. I think the roles changes. I think all those things factor in in how these games are being played compared to the way they were played ten years ago. So I guess it goes down back to KT's zebra changes stripes. You know, and a horse changes itself to a different color to put it all, in Wizard of Oz terms. It was all BS from the beginning, dude. All of it. Like this has been a thing. He he, he referenced to 08. You know, this has kind of been a thing. He's been he's been he says he's been working on it and it's BS. Will next year be the year that they change and then they fix it? I don't know. Like this is this seems like it's gonna be a thing for forever. <laughs> it's, I mean it's it's what it is. It's almost like when Dak got the ball with two forty five to go, he just wasn't ready for his mojo moment. Oh god. <laughs> oh uh. gosh. By the way, did y'all see the all twenty-two on that last play, and how wide open Dalton Schultz was oh, yeah. on the right yeah. side? My goodness, like how do you like? I am even if the play is a QB draw, like how do you? It's just it's unreal that you wouldn't throw a wide a wide open pass to the tight end right in the middle if you're going to get tackled in the middle anyways. Just unreal. Have you heard? See, what does it make you guys feel about how many football people have come out against? The you know the quarterback run at the end of the game, fourteen seconds, that whole deal. They they would have done it differently. It goes back to what well, Mike, said, Mike said at the beginning of the story. Him. Yeah, the yeah. call's fine, but like the details of it, like they're just yeah. everyone's on the same page. Dak should have slid at least five yards earlier than he did. Sloppy. You should have handed the ball to the ref. Like there's just so many things that didn't go right on, on that play. It is the small little because that's the thing. Like you can sit there and not have the small details right, and you're gonna beat Washington. You're going to beat the Giants. You're going to blow out the backups for Philadelphia. But in the good games against good teams, the big moments, like if you don't have that stuff, that's the difference between you winning and losing. Like 
But like I said, I'm looking at this roster right now, and clearly the Cowboys have the better the better roster. Clearly, San Francisco has the better coaching staff, and it's not close. Yeah. No, I'm dating myself with this reference, but watching the end of that game was like being on LSD. <laughs> <laughs> how, how so? What a trip. You weren't quite sure what you were seeing. Yeah. You weren't quite sure what was going on out there. <laughs> That's fair. You, you know what's wild, though? So when it was 23-7 and he elected to kick that field goal, I just thought, look, the offense is doing nothing. You, you got to go. And I just thought you had to find a way to try to get in 23-15, 23-23. And they kicked the field goal to 23-10. And, you know, you end up getting the ball back. As John says, 23. I was like, man, he's going to backdoor his way to a 24-23 win. And he's going to look like a genius here through all eh, of these like strong. questionable that's decisions. That's kind of strong. That's strong. He's going to look like a genius. winner of a wild card game then. But I was like, damn, he's actually going to escape this again. I just, it's, it's amazing how many things that we've just talked about when the hiring happened. And I was like, it'll happen. Just give it time. Like a one score game is like not what you want with him ever because it just brings up all these things like is the kicker gonna fuck it up is uh is he are we gonna have problems with just crap on the sideline going awry Meanwhile, fossils in his ear like is fossil the coach of the team sometimes like as if so just let him handle it like let the special teams coach have the game management stuff and we'll see how that goes if you don't want any of the like of the crap that you gotta take for it it felt sure felt like today. Uh, and I'm going off tweets I'm reading. I didn't hear the whole damn thing. Sure felt like today he was like, well, Kellen does the offense. I don't do anything. He was. Well, that's a pretty smart play if you want to keep your job. Yeah. So, Which so, might be true, though. That might be true. I mean, I, I have my doubts about Mike doing anything on offense. I don't know. So, uh, KT, to, to, to wrap up, uh, you know, I guess my grievances here. We've we've experienced playoff losses with both these coaches now, Jason Garrett recently and Mike McCarthy. Do we prefer the high risk, high reward McCarthy way or the you know what you're gonna get, put your head down, and it is what it is, Jason Garrett way? High risk, high reward. I'll roll the dice on that every time. Yeah. As will I. Yeah. As will yep, I. same here because it gives you it, it at least when you go high risk, it at least gives your players the opportunity to bail out the coach, which is what Aaron Rodgers did for years in Green Bay. To quote to quote Mike Reiner from about three minutes ago, I'll take the LSD rather than just saying no. Yeah. It's kind of, you know. Yeah. And high yeah. risk gives us talking points. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, hell yeah. And isn't that what matters most anyway? Absolutely. <laughs> To Reiner's point about Dak earlier, I just think Dak is a player that needs pieces around him. You know, he needs an offensive line. He needs help. Um, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's a good, damn good player. I, I would put him more in like, you know, the Rams won the other night and Matt Stafford, I think, was like 12 of 17 or something. You know, they ran the ball well. They were effective. I, You know, I think he's more of that kind of player that if he needs to put the team on his back, he can, but you don't want that from him every single game. You don't want, you don't want to have to have your quarterback throw over 500 yards to win football games every single time. It's just not going to happen. So he's a guy that needs help. And you would have thought that he would have had that help from this team this year, because there were a lot of pieces there, but 
I think I think the offensive line was the biggest. Yeah, problem I did with too. This year. I, I, I did too. Yeah. That that gets us right back into the detail of the game because where is the detail of the game more pronounced than in the offensive line? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, well, we got to let Mike get out of here, KT. But yeah, well, we did. We didn't solve anything. Mike, thanks for joining us. It was great to hear you again, man. Well, thank you, boys, for having me. I'm here for you anytime you would like. Thank you, Mike. We miss you, man. Good to have you chiming in on the Cowboys, man. We'll talk soon. Enjoyed it. I've been wanting to get my Cowboy yah-yahs out all year. (laughs) You got a a space to yah-yah here anytime. Excellent. There he goes, the great Mike Reiner, the old gray wolf. Holy cow. So, in conclusion, I'm not sure that we solved anything. Does anyone have anything left on their list? I mean, we've covered 90 things. I I think I filled out my list and some, yeah, we pretty much hit on everything on my list. I still got the kicker. Oh, Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. And then, you know what, that, that can also be like just overall too much loyalty like just in general like this goes back to Zeke and all that stuff I, I'm not I'm just not a big fan of that the 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 good the Patriots are pretty notorious for this it's like man I don't care we'll trade a guy for draft picks like we'll cut bait with guys who don't have it anymore you know and at least if it's cutting down guy snaps and giving the guys who deserve it more snaps you don't want to make a you don't want to cut Greg Zerline the week before a playoff game, but we've known all year that that's a bit of a problem. And we did this crap with Maher, you know. So it's like, okay, we're gonna go draft a guy. Like I don't know, but <laughs> but it's yeah, it's just kind of dumb stuff again. I don't hate I I don't hate the idea of drafting a guy. Um, it, it depends on obviously you don't want to draft in the premier rounds, but. Uh, you mentioned the Patriots, KT. Like when Adam Vinatieri, when it was time to say goodbye, they said goodbye to him. And you know what they did? They drafted Steven Guskowski in the fourth round. Like they used a fourth round pick on a kicker, and that guy was the kicker there for a decade, and he was damn good. So if you need to draft a guy, you draft a guy. But you can't have, especially when the extra points are where they are now. You you can't have this guessing game the entire time. Let's go get Justin Tucker. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, Justin Tucker. You know, I like that. I, I legit know this. It's two, it's two guys from Texas. They're actually going to be in the draft and probably will get drafted. Dicker, the kicker uh, from Texas. And then Texas Tech's uh, Jonathan Garibay. That dude's a monster. Like, I would draft the Tech guy in the fifth round. Or Whoa. Whatever. Justin Tucker went, was undrafted? Most kickers are, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. What? I, is that real? What's the history of the draft look like for kickers in general? I feel like most kickers are year? undrafted. It's very rare that a, a, a pick is even spent on a kicker. Usually oh, it's like seventh if, well, if you want sea bass, you know, if you want to go get all the <laughs> uh, the great Janikowski, you'll use a first round pick. What was there. the last guy uh, that played for the Bucks? What was his name? Oh, Roberto. Roberto. Uh, Roberto Aguayo. Aguayo. Yeah. Aguayo. Yeah. Much, like, much like Janikowski, Florida State guys, big kicks. Yeah. Janikowski, so, uh, 17th overall pick. Seventh round for Butker. Uh, Butker, seventh round in 2017. 20, 
let's see, it's another name that's still kicking around the league. Okay, 2013, fifth round, Caleb Sturgis. He hung around for a bit. Dustin Hopkins. The Randy Bullock, 2012, fifth rounder in 2012. Zerline, sixth rounder in 2012. Blair Walsh, sixth rounder in 2012. There's some... Tyler Bass, six. Yes, it's like sixth, seventh round. Roberto Aguayo is second round, so that's pretty... Pretty unbelievable. I Pretty would terrible. spend I would spend a fifth on on a kicker if it if you knew you were getting Dan Bailey or something. Then I would. Well, of course they would too, but you don't that. know that you're going to get that because you could get Roberto Aguayo in the fifth, sixth round, and he ends up being a guy that gets the yips and kind of never gets it back again. There's yeah. always a chance involved. Yeah. David Beeler, fifth round. Ah, Beeler. Ah, yes, Beeler. Cowboys legend. A kickoff guy and a kicker. Remember that roster decision? That was wild. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're going to come back next week. We'll have more. we got to do the roster tiers. we got to play the yes. should they stay next or should they Next week will be the roster go. convo, yes. Yeah, because we got a lot of guys who got to go, man, I don't know if we're going to allocate our money to him. Randy Gregory, stare go. Dalton Schultz, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for our producer, Kit Garrison, for Father John Mishota, and for Saad, I'm KT. This was our annual Festivus episode, the About Them Cowboys airing of grievances. Also, thanks to Mike Ryder for joining us as well. We'll see you next week on About Them Cowboys. This team sucks.